Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Would you take out the book of Acts? Now, I'm going to give you a pretty theological discussion today. So you bear with me. This is important. We're looking at some concepts that as we go on into the book of Acts, we need to have really clear in our mind. And I got to tell you, God is showing me some things here that I've never seen clearly before. So what you're learning from me today, I couldn't have taught you necessarily even a week ago uh, but it's, it, the Lord is revealing it, and it's very important that we understand these things. So we sow that. Why? So if you understand the purpose and the foundation of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, nobody's going to talk you out of it. You know that the church world has pretty much dispensed with this and put it aside. Some out of theology saying it shouldn't, it, these things shouldn't be here today. These are passed away. Others who are even Pentecostal out of sheer neglect and going, what's the point? What good does it do? Why is this a big deal? They don't understand. There's a huge lack of understanding so that people just don't have a commitment to something that is, is, is an enormously vital part of God's economy. I want you to see the theology, so I want you to buy into it so that as we go forward, you just go, I, no, we, this, is part of, this is part of our Christian life. Amen. Come, Lord, open the word, open our hearts to the word. Grace me to speak your word and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. Between his gospel and the book of Acts, Luke has given us enough information to recreate in our minds a rough sketch of the Lord's final day with his disciples. When we go back to the carefully chosen words Luke uses, a beautiful picture emerges of our risen Lord, preparing to leave. We know what he talked about during the 40 days following his resurrection. And we know what he said and probably where he said it on this final day before he ascended. Who among us wouldn't give almost anything to have been there with those disciples listening to him and then watching him rise into heaven? What would you give for that opportunity? This is, our, this is our generation. These are our years. We've got to live now. This is when God's appointed for you and me to live. But boy, would I have loved to have been there. To listen to him, to, to, to hear him, to see the resurrected Lord. And then to watch him ascend. I mean, that, that was... He, he didn't disappear. He ascended for a reason. We'll talk about that another time. He ascended into heaven. And they watched him go. Wouldn't we love to have been there? Today, we will find, as we will so often do during our study of Acts, gratitude welling up within us toward this Greek physician who did the research necessary to let us slip back into, uh, pardon me, slip into the back of those gatherings and to listen and to watch. Do you have Acts chapter 1 open? I'll start at verse 3. To these, these apostles and those who were with him, he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, 
appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Would you say the kingdom of God? During the 40-day period following his resurrection, Jesus regularly taught his disciples about the things concerning the kingdom of God. By the phrase kingdom of God, Luke means God's plan of salvation. Jesus focused on three topics. When you go back and you look at what Luke wrote in his gospels, you look at what's being said here and you say, okay, he talked to them about the kingdom of God. What did that mean? What did he talk about? He talked about three things. First, he explained how he fulfilled the prophecies of the Old Testament. That's the message that they were to preach. He's revealing himself in scriptures and saying, here's what you tell people. Secondly, he prepared them to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit. This is their equipping. This is their power so they can be his witnesses. And third, he gave them their assignment to be his witnesses and to make disciples in Israel and Samaria and to all the Gentile nations clear to the last place on earth. That is the language. That's exactly, he says, he uses the word eschatos. Eschatos gase to the very end of the earth. Eschatos, eschatology, last things. It's a series of things. It's the last one in the series. So he says, I want you to take this message clear to the last place on earth. So uh, pretty inclusive, wouldn't you say? Now back to, back, back to Acts. Gathering, verse 4, Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised. Would you say what the Father had promised? Which he said, you heard of from me. I've been talking about this. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's repeat verse 5 there. Good and loud. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. I want to explain those verses. This is important. I'm going to take you into some concepts. Bear with me. Luke turns the conversation, turns to the conversation Jesus had with his disciples prior to his, his ascension, which took place on the 40th day after the resurrection. He described these same events at the end of his gospel, but here he adds further information. The verse opens with a very unusual word, which means to gather together a large group of people or to eat together. Do you see the first line there in verse four? Gathering them together is what mine says. Do you know what the word really means? To eat salt. I'm serious, I'm not making this up. To eat salt, you go, what? Well, so do the translators. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's not even used in the Septuagint. It is a Greek word. Herodotus used it. People like that. Of course, you've got a Greek physician here writing this thing. Remember that. And it does mean to eat salt. In other words, to eat together. To eat together. And translators have such a problem with that, they, they, they make it really general. To gather them together. Because they don't quite know what to do with that. Or the word has another root, which means to get a large crowd of people together. So here we go. When we read the account in his gospel, 
we see both meanings apply. One of them's right. A large number of people were present because the gathering was composed of the 11 and those who were with them. This sounds like the same group mentioned in, later in Acts, which total about 120 persons. When Jesus appeared in their midst, Luke records this, we also know that he, at least, at least he, and probably they were having dinner together, he ate fish. Remember this? Upper room. So four, verses four and five are in the upper room. The upper room is an upstairs large gathering place in John Mark's parents' house. I think John Mark's mother's named Mary. And it isn't everybody back then. Yeah. <laughs> and so John Mark's, in the upstairs part of this thing is where the disciples gathered. It's where they took the Passover. It's where the Pentecost took place. It's this upper gathering room in that home. You've got 120 people in this thing. During that meeting, Jesus commanded his disciples to remain in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. He said this was a promise he had told them about earlier. So no one would mistake which one. He explained what would happen when it arrived. He reminded them of how John the Baptist had immersed people in water and said, in a similar way, they would soon be immersed in the Holy Spirit. That baptism actually arrived 10 days later on Pentecost. Five of those disciples had been disciples of John the Baptist. This is, there's no question in their mind. When he says, as John baptized you in water, you will now be baptized in the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. They're not going, what does that mean? We have so many confusing images of baptism, we're not sure what it means. There's all kinds of, of ins and outs and ups and downs. It was no question in their mind. John the Baptist had already compared the coming of the Spirit with water baptism. Do you recall that? Speaking of the coming Messiah, he said, as for me, I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The fire to which he refers is God's coming judgment. But he also said the Messiah would baptize, meaning dip or immerse, the righteous with the Holy Spirit. The preposition used here with the word baptize, this is important, essentially means within. It pictures something inside of something else. We need only reflect on the image of baptism to determine what Jesus is saying. John the Baptist immersed, submerged people, or had them immerse themselves underwater in the manner of the Jewish ritual bath. The ritual bath was a common activity among observant Jews. There are, there are ritual baths all over Jerusalem and Israel. This is not an isolated thing. There was a full culture, there's a whole understanding that Jewish people had when John baptized. He didn't invent baptism. It was a long history. It was a tradition. They understood what he was doing. It was performed either in a place with a natural body of fresh water, such as a lake or stream, or in a mikvah. You want to practice mikvah? Yeah which was a special tank of water containing at least 85 gallons of water located in homes or near religious sites. It would always have to be fresh water 
Water that had flowed. It couldn't be stale old water. You didn't let this tank do that. It had to be rainwater or river water or, 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 some, or lake. It had to become fresh in, in these tanks. The bath was meant to cleanse people physically and spiritually in order to prepare them to approach God in worship. In a mikvah, a person would walk down a series of steps into the water, totally immerse themselves under the water, head and all, and then walk back up the steps on the clean side of the stairway. Let's pretend this is a mikvah. I've got steps right here. You, as I say, you see these all over. One of the places there's a bunch of them is right by the, temp, the, the southern stairs of the temple where I think the Pentecost sermon took place. You've got steps and then you'll have some divider right in the steps. They, they got these in Qumran. Same thing. The person who's going to be bathed in this ritual bath uh, that you go down with, don't, don't envision without any clothes. And uh, so they wrap, you know, let's pretend I'm all wrapped up. And you're going down into this ritual bath and you go down the dirty side of the steps. This is because you're not clean yet. So you, you walk down this thing and you step down into the water. It's probably going to be around your waist or so. And then I'm sure there's prayers which I know none about, nothing about. And then you go under. All of you. You completely immerse yourself. And then you will walk up the clean side which is the, the right, the right as you're facing at the right-hand side. You'll come up the clean side. When Jesus says, as John baptized, well, how did John baptize? Well, he's using the Jordan River. He's using lakes, streams. What is, I don't, we don't know whether he stood there while they immersed themselves and he's overseeing it or whether he was part of that plunging. But we do know this, it's immersion, full immersion, covering everything. As John baptized you in water, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. John had said that would happen. Jesus picks up the exact words and says, that's about to happen. Is the picture clear? All right. This was the symbolism John used when he baptized. He was saying to the people of Israel, you must deeply repent of your rebellion to God and be cleansed. The Messiah is coming soon, and if he finds you in this condition, he will bring upon you God's fiery judgment. See, it's either you're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, or he's going, the Messiah will come and plunge you into the fire of God's judgment. So it's the Holy Spirit or fire, take your pick. That's what's. By being baptized, they were asking God to wash away their sins. Jesus took the meaning of baptism even deeper by describing it as a burial. Do you remember him saying, I have a baptism with which I must be baptized? Speaking of what? His death. Yeah. So Jesus took this, this thing, not just a washing. Jesus took it as a burial. It's a grave now to Jesus. To him, the water represented a watery grave. This may have well have been what was in his mind when he insisted that John baptize him at the Jordan River. So he's coming out to the Jordan River and saying, John, bury me. I know where this ministry goes. If I surrender to God, I know where this ends up. I end up in a grave. I, by faith, receive what God has ordained for me. I will die. 
And this is the meaning that became central to Paul. A repentant person didn't merely wash. They died with Christ and then rose with him to live a new life of obedience by the power of the Spirit. There is one more biblical truth we need to remember in order to properly understand what Jesus means when he speaks of being baptized into the Holy Spirit. The prophets repeatedly declared that when the Messiah came, he would bring with him a worldwide presence of the Holy Spirit. The entire planet would be dramatically changed. Five times in the Old Testament, it's prophesied that the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord, starting with Moses. He was the first one to prophesy that. And many other passages describe the coming of the Spirit using different imagery. Isaiah says, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Say, as the waters cover the sea. Do you get a picture now? Here's planet earth immersed in the Shekinah glory of the Holy Spirit as though it was covered with water. As though the sea, as the seas cover the floor of the earth, so will the glory, the Shekinah presence of God. The earth will be, hang on, baptized in the Holy Spirit. The whole earth. You, you see? He pictures the planet immersed, baptized in the glorious presence of the Holy Spirit. This must certainly be the basic idea behind the statements by John the Baptist and Jesus. Both are saying Jesus will bring that promised era of the Spirit, which is exactly why Peter quoted from Joel to explain what had happened on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit will be poured out on your sons and daughters, etc. He's saying that has arrived. The the Messiah's outpouring of the Spirit has come. But come on, isn't there a problem here? Did the Holy Spirit come over all the planet? I've still got weeds in my front yard, I can tell you that. Because it says when, when this glory of God comes, what's going to happen? Literally, it says the ground will grow fertile. Remember this? Uh, the, the desert will bloom like a rose. It's, it says that, that where there's been desert and dry places, the myrtle and the cypress will grow up. Those are, those are water, water plants. Those are plants that like lots of water. Out in the desert, you'll suddenly have myrtle and, and, and cypress and all. What, what's this? Has it happened? It, it says, he, in fact, if you read the prophets, it says that it'll come over the whole earth and, and, and people will stream into Jerusalem and say, teach us about God. And, and that the glory of the Lord will cover the earth. It says the animals will stop eating each other. The child will play by the adder's hole. They'll no longer be vicious. Has it happened? It's a problem, isn't there? Wait a minute. What's going on here? He was declaring, Peter was declaring that this era of the spirit had arrived. But not in the way it had traditionally been expected. Instead of a worldwide outpouring, the Spirit was only coming upon and within those individuals who repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. The day of Pentecost revealed a mystery. The Messiah must come in two separate events rather than one. That's, this is a mystery, but not the one Pentecost reveals. First, as our suffering servant, dying and rising for our sin, and then as our glorious returning king, 
But Pentecost revealed that God's gift of the Spirit also arrives in two distinct outpourings. First, in this season of time, which follows his resurrection and ascension, believing individuals, say believing individuals, are baptized into the Holy Spirit to equip them as witnesses. This you might call the little Pentecost. Then at his return, he will baptize the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. You could call that the big Pentecost. I heard that first explained in Jerusalem in 2007 at our Foursquare Convention. Uh, a, a messianic rabbi named Asher and Traitor. All, all I could think of when I'm watching him is St. Paul. He even looked like St. Paul. Still does. And he's fiery. And he taught that. And, and, he, and, he, and I, I thought to myself, why didn't I ever see that? You know, whoa. People, there is a, as the coming of the Lord draws near, there is a bigger Pentecost. There, as the, as the Lord comes, when he, in his that time, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. But it's not there now. And would you notice what Jesus said in the upper room? I want you to wait in the city because you will be baptized. I'm going to pour out. I'm Messiah, all right. And I'm pouring out the, the spirit. In fact, remember one of the things he did is blow on them. This is for me. The spirit will come on you. I'm breathing into Adam. Be full of the spirit. He says, it's coming, but it's coming on you. It's not coming on the whole earth. God isn't doing that yet. Why? The mystery. So when they had come together, is the way mine says it, it actually says when they had, when they were coming out, they were coming out of the city. So verse six now pictures Jesus. This is again the last day. We've been in the upper room, but now everybody, we're all going out on the road east of Jerusalem that goes up the side of the Mount of Olives and heads to Bethany. Jesus and all of these are following. They're all going up. And in route, apparently, there is a conversation that ensues. What I've just explained to you, the disciples understood. Wait a minute. The prophets said the spirit would come on all the earth and certainly on all Israel. That Israel would be just prosperous and that would be blessed and the nations would stream to it. And you just said something about it on us. And so what do they ask? Look at this. As, they were, as they're coming out of the city, basically, they were asking him saying, Lord, is it this time you're restoring the kingdom to what? Is, this, is, it, is, is the full prophecy going to happen? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs, the chronos or the kairos, the dates or the seasons, which God has fixed by his own authority. But you, let's get back to the point, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even as we said, to the last place on earth, the remotest part of the earth. As he led them out of the city toward Bethany, the disciples questioned Jesus about what he had just told them. They were confused because the prophets say that when Messiah comes, the spirit will be poured out on all Israel and will in fact cover the whole earth as the waters cover the sea. 
Yet Jesus had only talked about the Spirit coming on them. So they asked him, Lord, has that glorious age arrived when Messiah will rule and the Spirit will be poured out on all Israel? To which Jesus answered, no. There are times, chronos, and seasons, kairos, in God's plan to restore the earth which the Father has put in place by his own authority. That's the way it says it. God has put it in place by his own authority. In other words, things will not happen as you expected. There is a divine plan at work. You don't understand. But I can tell you this much. The promised outpouring of the Spirit will come upon you as individuals to equip you for ministry. Luke recorded in his gospel this, and behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you're clothed, put inside with power from on high. When this happens, Jesus said, you will be equipped to be my witnesses in Israel, Samaria, even to the most distant part of the planet. So the mystery Jesus revealed was that God would not bring to the earth the final age of the Spirit, even after the Messiah rose from the dead. Instead, he would give the Holy Spirit to Messiah's people. Why? It all comes down to why. Why don't you bring in the whole enchilada? That's Hebrew. No, maybe it's not. Why don't you bring the whole thing? Why aren't we going to get everything? Why isn't the earth going to be baptized? Why just us? Let's think about it. What do you think? So that you can be what? Where? He has delayed the full outpouring of the Spirit and chosen to put, to give, may I, careful now, the full outpouring of the Spirit on each person so that you and I might join the harvest. This is all about souls, people. It always keeps coming back to that, doesn't it? To the loving heart of God, who wants his heaven filled, who wants every person he can get. So he says, I will delay that. I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to give you everything. But you now are going to go out, and you are going to harvest, and you are going to be empowered to bring souls to me. And, the, and, the, and there will be a great ingathering of souls. Why? So that he, they could win more souls. He would withhold that glorious day so that a huge harvest of souls could take place. Turn with me to Isaiah 50, 54. Isaiah 54 comes right after what? Good, 53, yes. Every service has struggled with that. Because you think I'm tricking you. What is Isaiah 53? It is the clearest explanation of what Christ did for us virtually in the entire Bible. There's not a better chapter in the New Testament. 750 years before Christ, Isaiah nails it. Absolutely nails it. He describes the cross. He describes the whole thing, what they did to him. And then he describes the resurrection. So he shows us the crucified and resurrected Messiah as clearly as Peter or Paul can preach it to you. And then what comes right after that? Isaiah 54. Look at this. We've now had, he's just prophesied, Messiah will die and Messiah will rise. I'll I'll, I'll show you verse 11 
of, of Isaiah 53. As a result of the anguish of his soul, all the Messiah will see it and be satisfied. And by his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with a great. You don't allot portions with a, to, to dead people. He's alive. And he will divide the booty, the, 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 the victories of war with the strong because he poured himself out to death. He was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for transgressors, for the transgressors. Can you describe the work of Jesus better than that? 750 years before Christ, he said that. Now, look what comes next. Shout for joy, Isaiah 54.1. Shout for joy, O barren one, you who've borne no child. Break forth into joyful shouting and cry aloud, you who have not travailed. For the sons of the desolate one will be more numerous than the sons of the married woman, says the Lord. Who's the desolate one? Israel. Israel has been desolate. Israel has not gone out and evangelized. Israel has not brought board spiritual children for the Lord. It has been a barren mother. And he says, but when my Messiah comes, when he dies... And he rises. Something profound will change. Barren Israel, you will become a fruitful mother. You will bear children. Now how much? Look at the next verse. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch out the curtains of your dwelling. Spare not. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your pegs. For you will spread abroad to the right and to the left. Your descendants will possess nations and will resettle what? Desolate cities. Would you notice the direction? When this takes, when Messiah does this, you will grow and your children will spread all over the earth. Notice the direction from, from, from Israel outward. Everywhere else, it's inward. When Messiah comes, he will gather his people and they will come from all the nations and they will come to Israel. Here it says, after my Messiah dies and rises, there will be a great outpouring and I will send my people all over and they will resettle the desolate cities. They spread out your tent, Israel. You will be full of children. Now back. One more place, Acts chapter two. Verse 37 is where I'm picking up. 10 days later on the, on the day of Pentecost, Peter told the gathered multitude to whom God would give this baptism of the Spirit. His explanation was clear and precise. And he said God would give the gift of the Holy Spirit to anyone who would repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. The gift would be given to believers, whether they were young or old, generation after generation, no matter where they lived on the planet, until this season of harvest comes to an end. In other words, Jesus' instructions on that final day applies to every believer. Every one of us is given the same message, the same power, and the same assignment. Are you there at chapter 2? Acts 2, verse 37. Pentecost has arrived. 120 in that upper room. 
The power's fallen on them. They're creating quite the commotion. Thousands are gathering to hear. You can't, in that upper room, get thousands, so they probably said, let's go to the temple and we'll tell you what's going on. So this massive crowd, Jerusalem, pours to the temple. Where did they go? They probably went to the southern steps. They've excavated those things now, and it's just like a great stadium theater. It's a huge, wide thing. We go there when we go. And, and, and right, by the way, probably not 10 yards from that place is all these mikvahs, these bap- places to baptize. So they probably arrayed up these things, and, and then Peter stands there, and it's like an amphitheater situation. Peter stands there, and he starts preaching. And he's preached this gospel and, and, and told them that they've just crucified their Messiah. And verse 37, and when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And what? You will receive the Say it again. For the promise. What promise? We've been talking about it the whole time. This is just 10 days later. What promise? Promise of the Father. What was that? Messiah would come and he'd pour out the Spirit and he'd baptize the earth. And in this case, now we're being told, no, it will be his people. So they might evangelize. But at the end of the age, of course, he will baptize the whole earth. The promise of the Father is for you. And who else? Come on. Your children. Who else? For as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. How would you say everybody any better than that? Can you come up with words that would be more inclusive? I dare you. Now, now why would I need to say that? People say that this is only for that first generation, only during the apostles. It were bell gifts. And, and then once, once the gospel or the book was written, don't need, who needs healing once you have a Bible, huh? Think about it. Who needs, who needs the power to, to deal with demons now that you have a Bible? Who needs, who needs discernment or wisdom? We don't, I got a Bible. I love the Bible. You know that. I live in it. And it leads me to a living God. A God who's here, who's with me. Not just a book of rules. It's talking to me about how to come to the living one and walk with him and let him teach me and work in me. Do I need a power? Do you need power to witness for him and share him and minister him? Huh? Or did that go out with the last days? I mean, the early first days. We don't need it anymore, right? You don't need the grace and power of God anymore, the Holy Spirit. Who needs that? It's absurd. And it, but why does it even last? Why does such thinking even prevail or endure? I, I am not making up what this says. You can say, I don't like what it says, but I am telling you what it honestly says. You can see that, can't you? This is just plain old exegesis. We're going through it. Listen to him again. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise of the Holy Spirit, this wonderful baptism, this fullness, this overflowing presence of God that will come over you, is for you and your children, 
for all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. It is for believers, whether they are young or old, notice children are in there, generation after generation, no matter where they live on the planet, until the season of harvest comes to an end. Ultimate goal. Every one of us is part of God's strategy to fill his kingdom with people. And then someday, this harvest will end. And his plan will arrive at its, his ultimate goal. He will resurrect the entire universe to create an eternal home. A kingdom, that's what it means. For his son and his adopted children. Where are we going? The day will come when the harvest is ended. We're in a season of harvest. How long will this baptism, this power of the Spirit be given to the disciples of Jesus Christ? Until the harvest comes to an end. And when it comes to an end, the Lord will return. And at some point, we will be resurrected into bodies that can endure the Shekinah glory of God, which is full force. You'll be able to come right up to the glorious Jesus. You'll be able to come, I don't, I don't know how you do this, but right into the presence of the Father. Not destroyed, not hurt in any form. Now you are resurrected. You are capable of dwelling in the Shekinah. But he will also, it says, resurrect the very planet we live on. This planet, were the Lord to reveal his glory fully, would go up like an ash, just destroyed in a second. So would the universe, just whoop, and it would be gone. So he will give us a new heaven and a new earth for us to dwell with him forever. He's creating a home for his family because you see, the kingdom of God is ultimately a big family the Son of God and all the adopted sons and daughters of God, resurrected, shining and glorified like Jesus himself, dwelling with our Father forever. That's where this is going. And we have been empowered to receive that. Let's ask three questions and I'll close. Have I responded to Peter's call to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. L let's be clear about this. Peter's putting it out real straight. He's saying, all right, if you want to come into this, to this new work of God, you must repent, first of all. Repentance, may I remind you, repentance is a change of mind. It isn't about the past. It isn't feeling sorry for the bad things you've done. Repentance is about the future. It's a decision you make. It starts and actually you, you, you keep repenting in a certain sense. It's a decision to say, I am not independent anymore. I will not try to live my life without God. He is not an intrusion. He is not in the way. He is not a problem. I want him. I need him in my everyday life. Independence goes. Second thing that goes, rebellion. I am not a rebellious person anymore. I don't resent God's holiness. I don't resent his requirement. I don't resent his words. I want him to change me. I want him to do in my life anything he wants. I trust him now. 
I trust that he's good and pure and wise. So I want his ways. I bow my knee. I surrender to him. He's the one. He's the decider, not me. I give that right back to God. And I am not going to live for my own pleasures or my own glory, my own comfort anymore. That's gone. I now live. I get it. I know what life's about. It's about building this great family. It's about winning souls. It's about bringing the love of God in whatever way to people. It's about people. And so my orientation, my life now switches from myself to being a servant of God in whatever capacities and ways and open opportunities I have to bring that power and love of God to people. I am now about that. That's repentance. You turn away from the past, you say, here's my future. It's a decision you make. It's a choice. God can't make that decision for you. You say, I repent. Would you bow your head with me just one moment? I just want to give an... Having given that explanation, anybody today need to say, I get it, I hear what you say, I, I, I do that. I choose to not be independent. I choose to not be rebellious, but a surrendered child of God. I choose to live for him, which means living for people, letting the love and, and good news of Jesus Christ come through me in whatever way I've been designed to do it. But that's my goal, is to touch people for Jesus, not prosper myself, exalt myself, comfort myself. It isn't about me anymore. I get it. Anyone need to raise your hand and say, Pastor, I, I am, I, when Peter says repent, I do. Would you raise your hand and just say, that's me today. Yes, 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 huh, yes, hallelujah, yes, yes. Who else? Yes, yes. Blessed be the Lord, yes. This is no game, yes. This is where it starts. Now, In a sense, we keep coming back to this decision, but it does start with a decision which you mean with all your heart, and God honors you. He takes it right there. Yes. Blessed be the Lord. Anyone else? I just want to agree with you in that decision for one moment. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Yes. You may put your hands down. I've got another question. The second part of that, Peter said, was this. He said, you must repent. And then he said, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That's faith. That's where you and I reach out to what Jesus did on the cross. And we choose that for ourselves. Now, let me emphasize this. I just talked to somebody and they said, we're trying to witness to a family member. We've told them all these things. They will even acknowledge that Jesus died for, for the world somehow. But we cannot get them to say, he died for me. Do you, do you see the distinction? It isn't enough to affirm sort of a theological thing like, yeah, I think. You reach out by faith and he and, and, and he becomes your righteousness. You are trusting what he did for you, that your sins are gone, that your rebellion, your independence, your selfishness is nailed to the cross, that it's all wiped away. You lay hold of him, and it's not a little prayer you pray right now, and that'll cover it till you get to heaven. You are starting a lifestyle of faith. You will trust him as your righteousness the rest of your life. You'll keep sinning, got bad news for you. It still comes, I find. 
And what do I do? I just keep coming back to the cross. I don't, I, not like I'm not forgiven, but I just keep saying, Jesus, you're my righteousness. I take communion. I did today. And I just, Jesus, you're my righteousness. And I, I will die with Jesus as my righteousness. I will trust him the rest of my life. For me, he died. He died for you too. He died for me. Anyone today need to say, would you bow your heads once more just for a moment? Anyone need to say today, I choose Jesus for my righteousness. I get it. He died on that cross for me, and I am making that statement right now. He is my Savior, not just the Savior. He is my Savior. Anyone need to raise your hand and just say, I am declaring that. It is, a, it is, it is my statement right now. He is my Savior and died for my sins. Yes, praise God. Yes, hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, Savior. Anyone else? Yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Now, this also is, a, is, where, is this how you begin. You make this solid decision, and then you continue to trust him to the last breath in your body. One last time. Anyone else? I missed. All right, would you put your hands down? Here's the final question. Peter says, if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness, of, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, you'll receive the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for many it's are called. It's an assignment. Anyone today need to say, I've been given the Holy Spirit. I'm going to stand by faith and say the Holy Spirit is mine. This baptism is mine now. I'm not going to ask God to someday give it to me. I'm going to declare he has given it to me. This baptism is mine. This fullness of the Spirit is mine. I have repented and believed. Therefore, he has given me this Holy Spirit. I have this wonderful fullness, this baptism. I've been plunged into the power and blessing of God. It's mine now. Somebody who needs to raise your hand and say, I'm declaring that. The baptism of the Spirit, the life of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit is mine now. I'm stating it, declaring it now. Yes, 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 yes. Come on, anybody else? Yes, yes. This is where you, this is very important. There's been a lot of people, we, sometimes we, we find ourselves waiting. Someday God's going to do that. Someday. Stop it. If you've, if you've repented and believed, you got it. Now it's a process of just letting that wonderful Holy Spirit have his way in you. Come on. It's about softening and opening up and learning to walk in it. It's not begging God anymore. I, I love that. I just was reading in my devotions. Paul says, if you be in Christ, the, all the promises are yes and amen. If you're in Christ, every promise of God, the answer to you is yes. It's yours now. You got it. Anyone else, you need to raise your hand. And I'm, this is my last call. Yes. 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 Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. All right. Yes. Church, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, what a wonderful Father you are. So generous. So loving. You have pursued me. And you have won me, Father.
this day, I repent. I, I surrender. I bow the knee. I trust you completely. You are good and wise and kind. Now, I put my hand in yours, and I will follow you and serve you and live for you all the days of my life. No longer am I a rebel. I'm an obedient child. No longer am I independent. I need you every moment. No longer will I live for myself. I want to glorify Jesus Christ, witness to him in every possible way the rest of my life. Jesus Christ, you are my savior. You have died for me. Your death on the cross paid for my sins. The wrath of God toward me is gone completely, never to come back. You are my righteousness. Because of you, I can come before God boldly, confidently, knowing I am loved and knowing I am clean. Jesus Christ, my Savior for the rest of my life. Jesus Christ, you've given a promise. You said that you would baptize me in the Holy Spirit. As John baptized in water, I would be baptized, plunged, immersed into the Shekinah glory of God, that your spirit would rest on me and in me. I declare it today. You have given that to me. That fullness is mine now. I am baptized in the Holy Spirit. And grace, by the grace of God, you will teach me to walk in this blessing. Move in your, the Spirit. And let you bless and work through my life. Forever. I pray these things in Jesus' name. I mean every word I've said. And I thank the Lord that it's done in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. If you, if you believe that, would you say hallelujah? hallelujah? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.